as a mix of cash equity, sweat equity, and convincing my wife we're not going to buy a house. I'm going to start a clothing brand. You've got to pick. It's guys or girls. There is no other option. See a double page of her in the New York Times and she's wearing our boots. That's like, that's cool. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast moving world of online retail. Every week, Nathan Bush from eSuite and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello and welcome to Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, host of Add to Cart and director at e-commerce talent agency, eSuite. Now, before we get into today's guest, a little story that is actually relevant. When I was in high school, I was in a band for about three months. A couple of my mates decided they want to create a band based around the Nirvana era of Bleach. You know what I mean? Three-chord, angry teen rock. And I wanted to be a part of it, except I didn't know any musical instruments. I quickly got up to speed on the bass to the point where I could play three notes and join them in the music room. And I was in my absolute element until they started talking about recording tracks because what they didn't know is I actually played my bass on the minimal volume so that I just blended into the noise and they actually couldn't isolate me. The point where they wanted to isolate my bass scared the hell out of me and I quit straight away. That is my only, only time where I was cool enough to be in a band. I'm not cool, but today's guest is And he's a true musician. He made a living from being in bands, and now he's turned his creative talents to fashion, starting a clothing brand with a unique difference. Tony Corrales is the co-founder and director of No Skin, a vegan clothing brand that aims to strike the perfect balance of ethics and aesthetics. Based in Collingwood, Melbourne, No Skin produces a made-to-last range of shoes and clothing using high-quality, innovative materials such as Japanese denim, and get this, cactus leather. In this chat, Tony shares how NoSkin finds the right balance between D2C, marketplace, and wholesale. He challenges whether we should actually tick every side of the ethics triangle and talks about why his brand has no male or female categories. Uh, and if you like the idea of wearing shoes fit for a rock star, think Courtney Barnett or Elton John, I know, different genres. Stick around to hear the generous offer that Tony has given to Add to Cart listeners at the end of the episode. All right, let's get into it. Thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Paclio. Here's our conversation with Tony Corrales, co-founder and director of No Skin. Tony, welcome to Add to Cart. Thanks for having me, mate. Looking forward to this one. Oh, mate, you're on the other side of the podcast, mic this time. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I've actually done a couple lately. I've been doing a few more guest spots, so to speak, rather than um, organizing them. So credit to you because you do the hard work in this one. I just show up. So, <laughs> <laughs> And you just talk about what you know. Fantastic. Exactly. So we're going to talk about the podcast a little bit later and I want to hear your experience, see what I can learn from you. But first, we're here to talk about no skin. So tell us, for those who haven't experienced it, seen it, what is no skin? Cool. So No Skin is a vegan and ethical footwear and fashion brand. You know, essentially it's, and it may be a subsequent question, but I dive straight in with the rationale behind starting it. But for me, I was vegan for a long time. It's a lot more common now. You know, it still has a little bit of stigma sometimes, but, you know, coming from doing it for 15 years or so, there was massive transitions in even being able to where you could go and eat and things like that. Mm. But I actually found, and it was, just coincidentally, really, when I was getting married a couple of years ago, that I was trying to find a suit that was high quality, but wasn't made of wool, you know, vegan problems, right? And then um, <laughs> we... Vegan problems. vegan problems. And first world problems. But it just kind of occurred to me, there was some cool product out there. It just wasn't marketed well. It wasn't very aspirational. And it seemed like a good opportunity to sort of give back to the community I was a part of, so to speak, but also, you know, a business opportunity as well. And when you can find one of those sweet spots, that's, a, that's something you've got to jump on. Beautiful. And how have you jumped on it? Well, I jumped on it like there was a lot of coincidences along the way, a lot of kind of serendipitous outcomes. But um, my wedding photographer happened to also be vegan, just really by chance. And I got talking to him about some of the struggles. He'd recently been elevating his business in different directions. 
we started just chatting business things anyway, you know, nerding out on ideas and things like that. So we ended up kind of co-founding this together. And he introduced me to our third business partner, Ash, and she's our designer. And that was really a case of he was like, hey, I know this girl. She's been in fashion for years. It's her whole career. We should try and speak with her. And the day that we arranged to meet with her, she'd actually just been made redundant because of COVID from her job with like Lee and Wrangler and that kind of denim space. She's like, hey, this sounds sick. Like, I'm keen to get involved. So <laughs> it kind of just fell into place and we jumped on that. There's definitely some differences along the way. I mean, in my mind, I come from more of a digital background. That's what I bring. So I was like, okay, it's product, it's e-commerce, it's ads, you know, it's ads, optimization, conversion, ROAS, what are we going to do? It's a simple formula, right? Simple formula, man. But it's very difficult when um, you're dealing with sort of higher priced products and you're dealing with what I class more as brand building as well. So jumped on it fully like, all right, get that ads account fired up. Let's go. Let's get the Shopify set up and let's optimize the hell out of this and let's start making some cash. But um, yeah, a couple of harsh reality checks along the way as well, I think. What were the harshest reality checks that you had in those early days? Well, I think one of them was, I mean, you know, launching a business in COVID is actually not as bad as people think it would have been for us because it was a time where I was working in my old job and I was working from home. So they couldn't see that I was spending 50 to 60% of my time launching my own business. So that was a bonus. You were the quiet uh, non-quitter. You were just doing something else. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just passing more work onto my team. So that was okay. And, you know, like when you haven't got payroll and you haven't got staff and things like that, having COVID and lockdown in your business being in a bit of a halt doesn't really affect you as much. We hadn't made any money up to this point, so it doesn't matter that we're not making any now. So that was one thing. But you know, a lot of people and a lot of people listening as well will have heard this in and out. But the iOS changes as well come as a bit of a slap in the face when mm. your whole business model is sort of founded around your forecasting of what your click-through rate is going to be, what your impressions cost is going to be, everything going through that. And then when that all kind of gets thrown into a bit of a upheaval that puts a lot of pressure on so for a long time for us we just couldn't get profitable ads and that was the biggest kind of shock for me you know i always thought of what are we going to do to optimize and um, but we couldn't even get the winners going to optimize on we were just throwing cash to mark zuckerberg and you know struggling in those first days what a person to throw cash to he needs it poor guy but <laughs> Ever scrolled through an e-commerce packaging website for fun? Nah, me neither. Until today. Packlio is putting the joy into the packaging game. So let's play a game. I'll tell you the name of the Packlio product and you have to try and guess what kind of product they are. Fairy Floss. Compostable Mailer. Queen Bee. Honeycomb Padded Mailer. Here we go. Gummy Shark. Water Activated Tape. Now, if my jaded self thinks that this packaging is fun, imagine what your customers will think. Paclio is also eco-friendly, Australian-owned and operated with same-day dispatch and 14-day returns. Now, that's pure joy for everyone. Check out the Paclio range of e-commerce packaging options at paclio.com. That's paclio, P-A-C-K-L-E-O, paclio.com. Browsing through the range, you've got some beautiful product in there and obviously all the product is vegan. But what struck me is that the, the quality of the design, the basics and being built for a lifetime of wear rather than disposable fashion. What was the hardest part about designing vegan boots and clothing? Yeah. Well, I think going clothing first, one of the hard things in a way is so. It is, everything is, of course, vegan, as you say, and all the clothing has got sustainable or ethical manufacturing processes. So, for example, we use for our jackets and things, it's a hemp and organic cotton blend. It's a lot less environmentally intensive to use those kind of materials. But of course, rightly so, people would say, well, what's vegan about a jacket? And it's like, well, nothing specifically in this case. It's more the sustainability around it. So I think that's been sometimes hard is to distill the messaging and make that clear. You know, you take a pair of jeans and we use recycled cotton for our Japanese denim, which is really cool. There's not a lot of brands doing it and not as many brands doing it to the percentage of recycled yarns that we use. But there is a vegan element to it. And that's just the leather patch that you get on the back of so many pairs of jeans. And if you're a bit of a denim nerd like I am, 
you're very hard pushed to find a nice pair of Japanese denim jeans that don't have the leather patch because that's a mark of quality. So that's kind of what led us to the whole tagline as well of all quality, no sacrifices, that we're still giving you that, but you know, we're not taking anything away. We're just doing it on a slight alternative. So the shoes in a way was easier. We managed to find an amazing manufacturing partner who has an all vegan factory in Brazil. And we've been able to really kind of find out a lot about shoe design on the way. But in some respects, it's been easier to do shoes than clothing. And it's just because of the scale that clothing needs to be done at as well. And, you know, again, if you're getting a little bit into the e-commerce side of things, if you're drop shipping, for example, super low risk, no stock on hand, obviously your margin's very different and it's a whole challenge in itself. But when you're manufacturing clothes and you haven't even launched yet and you have to get jackets but you've got to do 300 units like it's a very big challenge because you haven't even really proved the concept it's quite terrifying when all of this stock arrives and you haven't even launched the site yet definitely ways i would do it again i'd definitely go into a kind of pre-order you know gauging interest doing some lead capture getting people to register interest in the brand then trying to pre-order some things But even then, you're not going to, well, if you can pre-sell 300 jackets at $300 plus off the bat, then fair play to you, go and and have a crack. But um, there was a lot of risk in starting that, which is, you know, I knew would be the case, but it's only when you see that product start coming into a warehouse space that the stark reality of it kind of hits you. (laughs) Yeah, We've got to shift all this. (laughs) Did you do any market research before you did that initial order to go, I'm very confident that there's a market for this? I'd love to say yes and make it sound like I was more prepared. And We want the real story. But the real story is not enough, nowhere near enough. And yes, I did. Yes, I did suss out and I was, and there's value in doing this, but there's also a lot to be said for it. But I largely, I am my audience and you have to take some of that to heart and think I am solving my own problem. And that's what a lot of good solutions come from is solving your own problem. And as well, I mean, there are brands out there, there's brands here in Melbourne that do amazing vegan products and have really been able to launch their business into, you know, seven figure businesses and things like that. So we know the market is there. One thing we did do is we built our Instagram account quite significantly before launching as a vegan fashion Instagram account. So we were kind of seeing what people were responding to there. We were building that up. You know, it was just a kind of re reblogging or reposting kind of account, generating that following. So at least when we did launch, you know, we launched to a following of, I think, six and a half thousand on Instagram. So we had something to go out with. And along the way, then through the design process, it was a lot of polls and things on Instagram. It's like, what color do you like? What's good with this? And again, it would be nice to get poll results that are more than maybe 80 people here and 70 people here. But at least it was something to gauge if we were on the right path to our core demographic as well. And did you have to change anything dramatically after that first order came in and you started selling to that group? Anything you went, oh, we got that really wrong. It was actually, there was one thing we got really right. So we very nearly got it very wrong is what that means. But, you know, we originally launched, and as well, this is the other thing that like, we're a bootstrap business. A couple of us put in three founders, you know, as a mix of cash equity, sweat equity, and, you know, convincing my wife, we're not going to buy a house. I'm going to start a clothing brand. Jeez. You don't make money out of houses. You'd be right. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. I mean, I just knew that it was all going to go to shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, wish. But um, I mean, we almost didn't make our Chelsea boot, for example. So you know, and this is something I'll talk a little bit about later, I'm sure. But it was a kind of eleventh hour decision when we were deciding on the cut, like literally two styles of footwear we were going to release to begin with. It was we had our combat boot, which is like your kind of lace up Doc Martinish style boot, mm-hmm. if we're being honest. Then you've got we had our low cut shoe. And then we're like, let's not do the low-cut shoe. Let's do a Chelsea boot. Let's go with that one instead. And honestly, if we hadn't launched that Chelsea boot, we wouldn't be a business today. That's been probably 80% of our revenue has come from that one product. Oh, wow. Can you describe the Chelsea boot for those who haven't seen it? Yeah. So it's um, if you're in Australia, it's basically like a Blundstone style boot is your, you know, your best example. So it's a no-laces slip-on boot with kind of like the elastic in the side. Being English, I just didn't realize how much people in Australia love this style of boot. And it really 
has taken off. And that's where our Facebook ads and things have been successful is really pushing that specific product as well. And that's where we then could get into that realm of optimizing. But yeah, without that, honestly, I think um, it would actually be a different story. Probably wouldn't still be operating today. Is part of that because if you look at that style of boot, RM Williams owns a lot of that market in the leather on the leather yeah. side, and they have a you know known for a very high price point. Did that frame of reference kind of help you when you're going out with a quality product as well? I actually think that's really what it is between RM and Blundstones. As people are really familiar with that, they have that point of reference exactly as you say for the price. There is actually now a vegan Blundstone, which you know luckily doesn't seem to have hurt too much, but it's also a little bit different to what we're doing. And yeah, I think that was it. And even Doc Martens, they do the lace-up style, but they do a vegan version. And I think people are uh, very much into that. So you'll hear my cat meowing multiple times through this, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, I've shut my door to keep mine out. Yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, I think that definitely helps give people that price point of reference. And as well, there was a real demand, I suppose, in the market for a vegan version of that. Although, honestly, there are lots of vegan companies mm. doing these boots. But I think for us, a big thing was having a bit of an aesthetically different style to some of those other brands. And I'd actually say in the last couple of years since we've been operating, it is very different. But going back to why I jumped onto this opportunity was because there were some awesome products out there from vegan companies that have been doing it for years and years. But sometimes, and you know, I don't mean any disrespect to some of the other companies, but the marketing and the perception and the whole, even the photography behind it was just a bit lacking and it gave that perception of it's a lesser quality or it's it doesn't play in the same realm as these other brands so i think us doing it with aesthetics in mind the whole way just bought people on and got them a little bit more engaged yeah absolutely you can tell there's a brand behind this there's an idea behind it i loved yeah. browsing through your site and it's phenomenal in terms of the photography the content it feels more like a magazine to me than it does a retail shop Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we've gone for. It's very Melbourne. Like we're, you know, that is, it's part of the brief that we can say is this is what we want to do. And I think for me as well, you know, coming here from London, I love the Melbourne culture and the arts culture and stuff. And I was like, I want to be a part of that. This is how we can do that. And we want to project that from our brand as well. What struck me about the photography is that, yes, it's very Melbourne and you can see Melbourne shining through, but it also feels very worldly. You know what I mean? Like you could go, you could see all this in Melbourne, but you go, this could be anywhere in the world as well. How do you brief in a photographer to get the look and the feel of the brand that you're trying to portray? One of the things is going for consistency. So for example, one of the co-founders is a photographer. So because he was my wedding photographer. So that's where we started a lot of that. Lives and breathes that. So he's done a lot of our stuff. So one of the first hires we made really is like so one day a week is um jack who's a photographer who works with us awesome guy really just understood the brand but we really found someone whose natural work and the work that they do for their own portfolio was you know not too far removed from what our stuff wanted to look like anyway and you know to be honest at the stage we're at as well having dedicating staff and bringing someone in to do just photography one day a week as well is quite an outlay and it's quite a big jump to make. But for us, when you're predominantly an online brand, it's key. Um, and every week that goes past, there's less briefing, there's less discussion. It's, you know, he's living, breathing it as we are, and then putting his own flair on it as well. So I think that's what's helped. And even down to, you know, when it comes to your econ photography as well, we've gone for the kind of clean white background, you know, ghost images of product. It's just an area where I kind of won't spare the expense, just go for it. You know, it's yeah. um, that stuff lasts you a long time. And I think by doing that, it's to be honest, I think a lot of people look at our brand and we've come a long way and I'm really proud of where we're at at the moment, but there's a hell of a long way to go. But I think the external perception is that we are competing up in those higher realms. And that's why people do then trust the brand to spend the money on it. And that's because we've invested in the content upfront as well. And I think when you've got products that are in the kind of $200 plus region, as you know, many of ours are in the $300 plus region, you're just not going to capture people unless you can really get that trust across mm. the line and you have to come across professional. And you mentioned doing things differently. And what I loved about what you were saying earlier was around, yes, we are a vegan 
retail business, but there's a layer of sustainability. There's a deeper story than just slapping a vegan label on everything. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that I noticed that you do differently that I haven't seen at all in Australia, I've seen a couple of times overseas, is that you actually don't have male or female categories. Everything is unisex. Did yeah. you have that vision right from the very start? Yeah, we definitely did. It was always something, you know, you take a boot, for example, is that can often be the case. But from our side, it was, it's twofold. 90% of the reason is because that's just how we believe. Again, we're in Melbourne here, we're in a really progressive and great environment. And we believe that, you know, the kind of neutrality behind it is what people are moving more towards. We want anyone to feel comfortable shopping with us and buying from us. And I think we've done a really good job of conveying that as well. And, you know, we see that within our market and people are really happy to have those options. And I think part of it was in the clothing, it comes down to how you design things. And we're lucky that our designer Ash has really had great knowledge and a great career to be able to say, I can design a pair of jeans that can be worn a little bit lower around the waist if you're a guy and it just fits like a straight pair of 501s kind of thing. But if you wear them a size down and you wear them a bit more high-waisted for girls, then it fits more like, you know, more flattering fit and stuff like that. And that just comes from really good product design knowledge. But then in the shoes, it's in a way, it's like, you know, we've just, or we're about to release a, a vegan snake skin or crocodile skin orange mule, which is like a backless shoe. And I mean, it just, to me, it just screams out and John, like, I love the <laughs> brashness of it. He's coming to Australia soon. You should see if you can get a pair on his feet. Oh, man, that'd be so good. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he'd get around them. They're right up his alley. But, you know, honestly, to be unisex and do that in the shoes is, yes, the reality is it's probably a more feminine shoe, mm. but it doesn't harm us to make it up into the larger sizes. You know, we can... We're obviously not making as many in a size 45 or like, you know, a guy's size 12 as we are in like what would be more women's sizes. But what harm does it do us to give everybody the opportunity to buy them as long as we're just smart about the quantities that we put into the different size breaks? And it's just not putting a label on them then, is it? Yeah, exactly. It's like these are open to anyone. And, you know, we've had some fun like discussions around this in the case like we're um we're stocked on the Maya website for example as well you know we're on a few marketplaces or just on a few different sites in different ways and Maya is very much like you've got to pick it's guys or girls you don't get to um there is no other option so for the stuff that we stock with Maya we'll stock that in the guys section because for us just commercially it made more sense with some of the products we had but then we'll go onto other sites. And if we have to choose, it's like, it's a more female directed site. So it'll go into that. But given the choice as much as possible, we'll always, and even in the descriptions, if it, you see it on the Maya website, it still states it's unisex because we still want to hold true to the fact that this is for everybody. That's interesting. So you couldn't tick both boxes. No, their system won't let you effectively like duplicate the product and have it in both places. Did you have any further conversations with them about that, around what they're kind of doing to address that? Because it is, like you said, it's an emerging market. There's a couple of things there. One is that their system is, you know, even they'll, and, and we kind of do it through a third party. So it's just a little bit of a mm. outdated system and everyone's aware of that. There's a little, you know, in something that big, it's not as easy as just flicking an update <laughs> yeah. and doing that. So fair enough to them. And I guess as well, like, I'd love to be in a position to actually try and force a bit more of that change but we were stoked to get on there and sometimes you've got to pick the battle a little bit as well and for us it was you know testing a market so yeah i think they're seeing it more and more and i think they will work towards that change and we're happy to be their voice to you know help them on that journey but yeah i think sometimes as well we've just got to accept that what we do is a little bit outside of the norm in doing it that way i know there's a lot of brands out there as well who will have everything as unisex styling but then they will still have a men's and women's section on their website just so they can show the product. Same products in both sections, but here's all the pictures of it on a guy. Here's all the pictures on a girl. But if we're going into that unisex realm, just take away the labels. I think that's the best way to do it. Do you find too, from a marketplace perspective, is that your points of difference around unisex, vegan, sustainability, have you had the case of marketplaces or retailers reaching out to you saying, we want to stock this because it's a gap that we've got in our market. We know, you know, to your point earlier, right at the start of the conversation, you said you were a vegan 15 years ago, but you've noticed, you know, that change and become more popular over time. Have you seen people reaching out to you so that they can be part of this growing movement? 
Yeah, we actually have. We actually try and limit the amount of marketplaces we're on because I'm also, you know, again, getting more into the technical side. I'm aware that it's great for our SEO to start getting backlinked from these other sites. That's awesome. But I'm also conscious that, you know, the Maya website is going to have far more SEO authority. And if people Google no skin boots and they start getting Maya in all the shopping ads and that, and we, as you'd imagine, get a lot less money from someone buying it from Maya rather than buying from our website directly. We don't want to just be cannibalizing all of our like D2C revenue, basically. So it has to be a bit of a discussion around what makes sense for us. But then I, we haven't actually sort of formally signed the papers on it. So, but hey, by the time this goes out, we're going to be joining on to Westfield Direct as well, which is like Westfield's yes. e-commerce. But the guy I spoke to there, he's you know obviously responsible for acquiring new brands and getting them onto the platform. But he himself was vegan and like liked us, so he was advocating for that. So. I think it is. It's like, hey, let's fill the gap. There's, I think it gets us, you know, realistically, we've been a brand for a couple of years and we're going to be on Westfield Direct. We're going to be on Maya. We're on a couple of other marketplaces and things like Wolf and Badger, which is like specifically ethical ones. We're probably able to put ourselves in a few more household name retailers because we are providing a point of difference at this time. So I definitely don't think it's hurting. Yeah, I totally get your your battle there with the balance between the D2C and the exposure through the marketplaces, especially when you've built such a beautiful brand as you have, you want people to experience it in full, right? Yeah, that's it. And yeah, it's a little bit of a compromise. I mean, it depends who you go with and some of the opportunities you get to showcase the brand. And yeah, I think, look, we honestly had this and I think it's good to have the open discussion around it as well as we have a conversation like it's you say that you're on Maya, for example, and that's that's great. And people suddenly you get that trust mark. So even if somebody comes and we've got a showroom store as well that we open, it's basically our warehouse. We open two days a week so people can come and try things on a shopping store, so to speak. Hmm. And if someone's passing by and they pop in and they're like, Oh, is there anywhere I else I can go and get this? It's like, oh, if you if you're in Melbourne or Sydney, you can go into Maya and get it. They suddenly are like, they'll pick something up again and be like, okay, so you're legit. You know, <laughs> it gives people that reinforcement. And yeah. honestly, that that's priceless in many scenarios. But we do see ourselves as quite a boutique brand that you would find in the sort of like boutique side streets or something like that, not necessarily in a department store. So it's like we're getting the trust equity, but are we a department store brand? Like these conversations have to be there. But in the early days, any exposure is good exposure for the most part. Oh, look, and I think it's a good thing on both sides, really. There is the balance there, but you know, I know a fair few people in Maya too, and I know they're putting a lot of effort into making sure their range is interesting, that they're supporting up and coming designers, brands, and all that sort of stuff, not to just get stuck in the same old names that we see over and over again. Yeah. And that was actually one of the things that really got us, unless they got us across the line, like we were we were stoked to be part of that and they've been so cool to work with as well and like the third party that we worked through and everything for Maya. But um, the actual fact that they wanted to partner with, it's called Emerge and that's like what's within Maya and puts brands like us in there. And the fact that they wanted to do something that was highlighting Australian brands and brands with a sustainable element, it's like you've got to commend people for moving in the direction that we want to move in. Um, it does take time to make the shift. The products can often be more expensive when you're going down this route. We're really aware of that as well. So when we see a company like Maya who can have some real significant impact in a good way, if they start making these changes, then we want to back that and we want to be part of that journey. So yeah, it's a great thing for them to be doing as well. <clears throat> I have a very important announcement for you. Shopify's team have officially exported all of their code, plonked it in an esky and submerged it into the Arctic. The official code freeze has begun. Running from November 18 to November 22, Shopify will not ship any new platform changes to production during this time. But instead of using all that ice for a delicious cocktail, the Shopify team are all hands on deck ready to support you while you maximize your peak sales. They are right beside you. And um, they actually might need your help to remove some of their tongues from the frozen code on the other side of this. Good luck this Black Friday. Go well.
One of the other things we mentioned unisex, but one of the other things that I noticed that you do very differently, and I love when I go on to news sites and I have a browse around, you know, in the research for these interviews, I go, what can we talk about? It's a bit different because, you know, you can kind of notice the Shopify template straight away and there's product pages and you can kind of, you know, the flow. I spotted a few things that was different with yours. And the thing that stood out to me was on your product pages, you actually had factory details. I mean, you talked about your Brazilian factory before, but in detail around where it's located, their production volume, the amount of employees, their working hours, their salaries. I've never seen that done before. What gave you that idea and why is that important to you to make public? The idea is not so much an idea, it's a response to what our consumers want to see as well. And it's a response as well to what I want to see. And to take a slight tangent, I suppose we're coming back around to it. And because this aligns with a lot of what I do within ethical fashion or within ethical business and things like that as well, is you've really got what I class as like a trifecta or a triangle of your ethics and you know the impact that you make. You've got the people, the planet and animals. And Honestly, if you're if you're out there and you've made a product and you want to try and do something with an element of, you know, the ethical mindset behind it, nailing all three of the sides of those triangles is really, really difficult, especially in a cost effective and like yeah. pragmatic way it's as well. Profitable. And to build like it's extremely challenging. And for us, we're all and transparency is huge for us, and exactly as I'll be now. So with our Brazilian factory is people and that kind of side of the triangle is awesome. We've got all of that information. So we want to share that and we want to make a big deal of it because we're really proud to be able to do that. When when I FaceTime with our manufacturing agent and he's there basically on the factory floor, it's great to see that happening and to know that it's being made in a good way, especially because you know there's a lot of dark and kind of undercover kind of nasty stuff that happens out there. Mm. The animal side of it as well is we're really, you know, obviously for us, that's a huge thing. We're a vegan brand. So that actually basically comes first and foremost in everything we do. You have to kind of put them somewhat into a prioritization order. And that factory is an all vegan factory. It's actually the world's first all vegan shoe factory. There's others now, but this was the first one, which is really cool. And did you know about them before you went into or had the idea for no skin or you came across it as you were exploring options? So. I guess the story that is actually pretty cool for anyone who's looking to make product is if you've ever tried to get into clothing or footwear manufacturing, it is the weirdest industry. And I I had no background in this. And this was before I met our designer as well. So you sit down and you're like, all right, we're all e-com nerds here. So what's your logical thing you're going to do? You're going to sit down and you're going to Google clothing manufacturing, footwear manufacturing, you know, whatever (laughs) it is. And it's like, if these factories do have websites, they look like they were made 20 years ago and they're like one pay. It's just not doable. There's no contact information. There might be like a couple of pictures of some random jackets and you're like, is this for real? Like, how do these people get work? But that's just not how that industry works. It's referrals or companies have worked with companies for years. So I'd kind of delved in that and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to get into the realm of manufacturing. I, originally, I was actually going to be a retailer. So my idea was kind of a marketplace or it was to source vegan products of lots of brands and like the highlights and then make that into an online store. So there was a shoe brand I really wanted to stock in my original idea. So I contacted them and said, hey, can I um, buy from you wholesale? Like what's the prices or that kind of thing? And they were like, oh, we actually, you can do that all directly through our manufacturer because they ship straight from the factory when it's made. So here's the email address, get in touch with them. So I emailed him and he was like, yep, I can do that. Here's the details. I also create for all of these other vegan shoe companies as well. Would you like to know anything about those? So hang on a minute, mate. So you're a vegan <laughs> shoe manufacturer. I was like, what if I just wanted to make my own shoe? Like, And he basically outlined this is the process. So I was like, all right, I'm not selling for anyone else. I'm going to make my own shoes. So it was just by pure kind of chance that I found this manufacturer. And it's just been a great relationship with them as well. But sort of going back to what I'm saying is with those guys, it's great. It's a vegan factory. It's from the people perspective, it's great. But the reality is as well is environmentally, our shoes are from microfiber. Polyurethane is the vegan leather material. And that's a, it's a petroleum derived material. It's effectively, you know, I don't say plastic because that totally changes what you see of it, Mm -hmm. but it's an oil based material. Okay. So it's not particularly environmentally friendly. You know, it's very different to using single use straws or things like that. It's not, you know, these products last for years and years. 
So, and there's so much that we have that has got petroleum derived materials, but it doesn't tick every box. It doesn't tick every side of the triangle, which is why we're trying now, we're sampling with a product called Miram, which is an environmentally friendly vegan leather alternative, because our hope is then that'll be the the opportunity for us to say we tick every side of the triangle and we can be cost effective and profitable. But man, it's hard. And that's why transparency is so important because it's almost like if you don't outlay this stuff up front, especially when you're trying to do the right thing, someone will make you. And that's good. I'm glad that people are calling that out because that's what we need more of is more transparency. But I love that. And, and it reminds me of the, the Maya conversation we have is like, you don't need to tick every box as long as you're moving in the right direction and you're open and honest with where you're heading. Absolutely. Yeah. It's about moving in the right direction. Like no one's ethically perfect. No one's ethically perfect and profitable. That's for sure as well. And, you know, that's a big part of what I do with my podcast as well as having those discussions, but it's about moving in the right direction and commending those who try, you know, like there's a lot of stuff you could say about a company like H&M and their practices, but they are moving in the right direction. So support the things they're trying to do in the right direction, because once they get good response to doing some good things, they'll know that there's a market and a demand to do other good things as well. Yeah. I've got to ask you, as I was researching, you mentioned some of the, the materials that you're using, cactus leather. What is cactus leather? So cactus leather is specifically at the moment created from a company in Mexico called Deserto. Really cool material. And it's effectively the pulp. It's cactuses that are pulped down. So they're grown sustainably, pulped down, and basically then made into fibers. That's about as technical as I can get with the construction of it. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it's then tightly woven like with the pulp from the cactus and obviously then dyed and done like that as well and bind and bound with some other materials so that you get a really, really good replica leather feel that you can then use from anything from bags to wallets and on our bomber jacket, we've got that for the collar and like the pull, the zip pulls and things like that. It's not really suitable for shoes at this stage. And as well, it's pretty expensive. I was about to say it sounds expensive. Yeah, it is. So I mean, that's why for us, we use it as accent pieces on our items. You could make a wallet out of it and you'd be charging a decent amount for the wallet, but you could still have a good margin on that. I know another company who does a backpack of it and that starts to get a bit, starts to push the boundaries a little bit and you start having to, yeah, really, really kind of charge for that product, which obviously some people are, are really happy for. But the whole plant-based leather space is really evolving quite quickly Samiram, the one that we're looking at is, I think it's BMW recently have just released a car that uses that for their seats. You know, the material we use is similar to what you'd find in a Tesla because they won't use leather in their materials as well. So it's coming a long way. And, you know, the more cars that BMW make with a plant-based leather alternative, the more cost-effective that's going to be for brands like us to make clothing from it. Yeah. And I think the more it changes customers' expectations. Absolutely. And just the Again, it's the trust mark that oh, if these guys are, you know, if these guys are using it for their cars, they're not going to use something that's not good quality and not durable. Yeah, absolutely. Just changing track a little bit there is that I love your series, Coffee with a Creative. If, if you go on the No Skin website, look at the journal, there's a few blog posts and basically sitting down with a bunch of creatives. I saw you did the chat uh, with Courtney Barnett, which I was very jealous of. She's amazing. Yeah, it was great. You seem to have like a really strong community of creatives around you and I can see where they get it from, like just speaking to you. How has this been intentional to have this community feel around it as well? Has it grown naturally? Yeah, it has grown really naturally. And honestly, I'd, I'd love to have been able to do more with some of that stuff, but you know, time and yeah. everything that goes with it. And we've got a backlog of people who are you know keen to be involved. But I think a big thing as well, and it goes back to what I was saying, saying at the start is it was that bit of a reality check that we're not selling like for example a teeth whitening product which you can do loads of ugc marketing for and you can pump your ads behind it and you Mm. can sell it at i'd say like 50 75 dollar price point and smash ads like that was what i thought i was going to try and do and it it just wasn't applicable for this product and that's you know a huge realization for me so then i had to really change my focus and stop watching courses or stop reading content about optimization of ads 
and start looking at how to build brand and tribes and cultures and things like that. Um, and for me as well, that's a big part of what I've wanted to do as well as I come from the music scene. That's what I did for years. I was like a touring musician for five or six years. And, you know, I, I actually had a realization, which I've said a few times now, maybe six months ago, that if you want to do something where it costs you a lot of money to get started, it's a real hard slog to get people to know about it. The top couple of percent of people will actually make a good living from it and get to live the dream. And the rest of people will probably have to like jack it in one day and say it was fun. You've got two choices. You can start a band or a clothing label. Like <laughs> it's really basically the same, but that means you've got to have fun with it because yeah. this is not, it's not a cash machine business. It's a brand building and it's a culture building. So you've got to find ways to have fun with it. And for me, that's getting to hang out with people like Courtney Barnett. That was a scene I loved being in. I don't do it as much as a performer now, but I'm like, how can we get involved with that? I mean, there's such, you know, I love when that Shopify noise goes off on my phone. Like, who doesn't? That's great. Um, but seeing Courtney Barnett on the stage of the Ellen show or like see a double page of her in the New York Times and she's wearing our boots, for us, that's really good. And it means that Courtney Barnett, that's a great person to have involved. But then when the next week we get, um, you know, like we've just done something with a company called Studio Ting, who are great artists. And they obviously, you know, they don't have the same exposure and reach as Courtney Barnett. So for us to be able to show them to all of our followers and all of our email subscribers and the people who visit our website is like supporting culture and it's supporting art and it's supporting people doing cool things. Just the way that Vans supported the skate scene back in the day or Red Bull have supported extreme sports. Like it's like, how, what's our, way of doing that and for us that's arts and culture that's a great analogy i love that analogy yeah so yeah i mean hopefully we can just be as big as bands or red bull that'd be great so So, looping back to the podcast and i think it ties in well with supporting the community and being part of that community you run the producing with purpose podcast and you've had some amazing e-commerce brands in there belroy eva thank you patagonia who are you inspired by I think I'm inspired by, I guess in a way, like I got into, I didn't always think I'd start my own business, so to speak. Like I, you know, was working in digital and working in agencies and stuff and really, really enjoyed my time there. And it got to a point where I just wanted to break out and do my own thing. So I'm really just inspired by people who start businesses or go out and do their own thing and take the risk because it's scary, who take that risk and they make it to an extent, even harder for themselves because they do it with this undercurrent of their ethics all the way through as well. And they do something where it's not just serving them and their bottom line. They're trying to actually make a difference as well. So, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously inspired by brands like Patagonia because they've taken that and done an amazing job with it. But then I'm also really inspired by people who have quit their job and they want to be at the local farmer's market selling like a local kombucha Mm. kind of thing because they feel that that's you know they want to introduce that into the market and they want to give consumers this alternative option even if for them that means you know turning down a good salary a stable job and paid leave that's more important to them to try and share that with the world and they're the kind of people that i want to help with my podcast and give them some of the insights as well to lift them up and help them, you know, make more impact in their business. So yeah, so I'm inspired by people at both ends of the spectrum of that. Amazing. And we'll put a link into the show notes of the podcast for those who want to dive into the world with you. I saw that you took a little bit of a break. It sounds like you've got a few things on at the moment, but you've started back up the podcast now. Yeah, no, I have. I did take a break and it's actually been um it's been a real like thing hanging over me that I've been quite frustrated about is having that break and honestly it's one of those things that you procrastinate on releasing an episode and then that spirals and then you're not doing it and then you kind of park it and man and as you'll know the key to doing well with a podcast is consistency so then once you've had that you're like man i haven't done this for like six to eight weeks you're like well i'm back at square one so then you've got to try and g yourself up to start again and i i suppose i was I was a little bit surprised about the people I managed to get for the podcast as well. So I got onto this really good run with it. Yeah. And it's, but I mean, I'm coming back and forth. I'm actually making, you know, I've through all this time as well, I consult for other businesses. Like I do digital agency consulting as well. I do e-com consulting and things like that. But I've actually 
quit more and more of that stuff now to double down in what I'm doing. So the podcast is coming back in full force and we'll actually soon be releasing some free and some paid resources as well of how to like scale purpose-driven businesses both online and offline, which is really exciting, but it's a lot of behind the scenes work. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, if they are ready as well, by the time we go to air, we'll, we'll include a link there. But absolutely check out the Producing With Purpose podcast. Some brilliant brands in there and some great conversation. Cheers. Tony, what is next for yourself and NoSkin? What's next on the the radar? Yeah, well, it's, um, <laughs> we're about to launch what is more of our summer campaign, but then we don't really do sort of seasonal campaigns in the same way. We try to be more of a, you know, seasonless, timeless brand, really. But we will be coming in with, we've got our loafer range coming, which is a little bit more summery in the shoe style of things. And we've just released our kind of shirting range as well, like long sleeve, short sleeve shirts. So there's a lot of that stuff. But I think as well, there's a lot to come from us in the shoes and more doubling down into the shoe realm of things. I think, you know, we've definitely found our voice more as a brand. And I think now we're just really refining where we sit in terms of our product offering as well. And I think for us, it feels like we're doing what we intend to do for the community by like really offering good, high quality, aesthetically pleasing vegan footwear and like statement outerwear pieces as well. So like the jacket we do. So I think there's maybe even a little bit of refinement in the product line to come. It's hard to not just want to do more and more products. And that's, you know, again, that's one of the things you learn when running an e-com business as well. But yeah, I think that's what's coming for us. Yesterday, I was actually at a, a pop-up for Melbourne Fashion Week as part of a wildlife-free fashion initiative there. So we're going to be trying to do some more of that stuff as well. We've got a couple of collabs coming out in the future, which is sort of just being talked about now, but some pretty exciting stuff there. The Elton John collab, of course. Yeah, I say it's in the pipeline. Really, that's just what I want to do now. So let's go make it happen, right? <laughs> yeah, <that's> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... Yeah, I think there's it's pretty exciting for the year ahead. So yeah, really appreciate anyone who wants to come and give us a follow. You know, obviously we love when people buy, but we also just love people to be there for the journey as well and get the opportunity to share and see the creatives and the art that we're showcasing as well. Beautiful. So dials perfectly into my next question. How can people do that? How can people get in touch? Cool. So Instagram is obviously a solid one for us. That's at noskin.co. The website is noskin.co. They're probably the two key places. Don't go anywhere near the TikTok yet. I'm figuring that shit out. So <laughs> Probably the best time to have a look now. Yeah, that's it. Go and have a look now where it's me. You're like, hey, do you like the shoes? <laughs> uh, so, Total transparency. Yeah, exactly. Total transparency. Um, it's a funny old game over on that platform as well, but it's the future, man. Um, so no, Instagram and the website is best and, you know, even hit us up on the live chat, hit us up on the DMs. Like we, we really like to be, to just chat to people. And if you're intrigued, you want to know more about vegan shoes or vegan fashion or why, you know, more about why we do it and that kind of stuff as well. Like we're here to talk about it and to engage and to do that. And if you want recommendations of cool artists to check out, drop us a message. We're just here for the chat. So many good chat options. Yeah. Tony, thank you so much for sharing the story so far. Love what you're doing. Love your purpose and love your aesthetic and the brand you're creating. So thank you for sharing on Add to Cart. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks for having me. See? Cool. Well, cooler than me anyway and super interesting. If you want to be cooler than me, not hard, and almost as cool as Tony, he has included a very special offer for Add to Cart listeners. Simply visit noskin.co that's noskin.co and use the code noskin50 all one word noskin50 for $50 off all orders over $150 alright here are the three lessons that I took from my conversation with Tony number one transparency proof points I don't know about you but I always get suspicious of people who say trust me I mean, that's a reason not to trust them if you have to tell people to trust me. I can't remember what movie that is out of, but it's always stayed with me. The same goes for brands who say they're transparent, ethical or sustainable. Unless there are proof points, it can actually arouse more suspicion. I love No Skin's factory transparency when they share exactly where the items are made and the conditions they're made in. A great proof point to walk the walk. Number two. Give and take partnerships 
for the bigger mission. Tony surprised me in there when he was so honest and pragmatic about No Skin's relationship with department stores such as Maya. Now, while they're not the ideal terms he'd like to trade under, he knew that what he was getting was so important in achieving the bigger mission of No Skin. He had to give a little bit to make the impact, even if it wasn't perfect. I think we can all learn something from that. And number three, shameless borrowing. In true musician and artist style, Tony constantly referenced the designs and brands that he looked up to and shamelessly copied. And it's not a bad thing or something that we should shy away from, especially if you put your own spin on it. I mean, we wouldn't have Oasis without the Beatles, right? Hey, one last little thing before you head out of here. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you follow us on Instagram, add to cart show, make sure that you have a look at our stories because I've gotten the habit of every Friday posting the upcoming interviews that we're having on Add to Cart, and it's your chance to leave a message or a note on the questions that you want asked. So if you follow us on Instagram, Add to Cart Show, make sure you keep an eye out for that because I would love to start incorporating some of your voices, leave them as voice messages or your questions, and I'll give you a shout out on the podcast when I ask our guests your questions. So give us a follow on Instagram. That's uh, at Addicart Show. Keep an eye out for our stories. I'd love to hear your voice on there. To get the highlights of today's episode, head on over to addicart.com.au and sign up for our free newsletter. Each Tuesday, we will send Monday's episode summary, links, and discount codes for you to go next level on. And if you're looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, come and visit us at eSuite. We're a dedicated e-commerce talent agency, connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands in Australia. Head on over to eSuiteTalent.com.au where you can download the free e-commerce salary guide and sign up to our weekly e-commerce job emails. Thanks for listening. And until next time, keep those customers adding to cart.